0: Hey there, producer Alex here. A quick programming note, this episode of Grain IQ features visual references that might be a little bit easier to follow along via video. To watch the video version of this episode, you can subscribe to our Grain IQ YouTube channel. Thanks so much and enjoy.
1: This is season three of Grain IQ. I'm your host, Chad Moyer. Grain marketing is a critical piece in keeping your operation profitable. In seasons one and two of Grain IQ, we covered the basics of grain marketing and how to put those concepts into action. If you haven't listened to those first two seasons, we invite you to start there. Welcome to Grain IQ. I'm your host, Chad Moyer. Grain IQ is a joint venture of the Nebraska Rural Radio Association in partnership with the Nebraska Soybean Board. On today's program, we're going to get some historical perspective from an individual who has been active in grain trading in Chicago. Mark Gold joins us here today. Mark Gold with Top 3rd Ag Marketing in in Chicago. Thanks for joining us here today. Can you tell me back again in the 70s and 80s, um, how how did it operate? How did it work? How yeah. did you actually execute a trade?
0: Well, in the pits, if you were a broker, the runners would bring the orders to you. And this is long before the computers, and you could do it on the computer. So if, a, if a Cargill, for example, wanted to hedge 10,000 bushels of corn, they'd write up the order. The order would go to the Cargill broker in the corn pit, and he would look for a buyer to, to sell that grain to. And it was the hand signals in the pit. You'd have to look, if you were selling, you look for somebody whose hands were in, which meant he was buying. Hands out, they were selling. And okay, then, so
1: for you and me, yeah. a sitting here right now, yeah. if I was selling, I would want to do this. Yes, and, and if your,
0: you- your hands would tell you how many contracts you wanted to trade. Uh-huh. I want to sell, ten. at the time it was done in bushels, so two contracts was 10,000 bushels. I want to sell 10 and a half or 10 at 3 quarters, 10 at a quarter or 10 at the full penny. Uh-huh. So it was quarter, half, 3 quarters and a full penny. And that told the the other person what they were willing to pay. And you know, if the market it, it's hard to explain how it would go from a quarter cent bid to a half bid But maybe people were sensing the market was turning, they wanted to pay up, and they'd go to a half for it. They'd go to three quarters for it. They'd go to even money for it. Uh And as a broker, you're trying to get the best price you can for your client. So depending on what was happening, you would sell it at the best available bid. So that's that's how it got done. It was all done in hand signals. If you had two hands in the air, it meant you were going to take at least 30,000 bushels six contracts. Uh-huh. and If your hands were like this, it was generally 50,000 bushels, 10 contracts. Uh-huh. When things got bigger and we started using contracts instead of bushels, if you wanted to sell 100,000 bushels, crossing your arm, selling 100,000, 200,000, 300,000, 400,000, 500,000. Uh-huh. If you wanted to sell a million, it was like this, meaning a one with a lot of zeros after it. Yeah. So that was a million. You didn't see that too often, but you would see 100, 200, 300, 400, that kind of thing.
1: Yep. So if you were selling, you'd do it this way. If you wanted to buy buying, it, exactly. you'd be like this. I want to buy
0: 100, 200, 300, 400, 500. Uh-huh. And it sounds chaotic. And I would tell people when they would come down to the visitor center, if you look at the whole action of all these pits, you're going to go, how does anything ever get done? And I would say just isolate one person and watch while they're doing. Hands in they're buying, hands out they're selling. And they could change you know, on an instant. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you just focused on one person, it was kind of looking at the tree in the forest rather than looking at the forest. And it made a little bit more sense. But you see the brokers, when they would get done filling an order, let's say for that cargo, they would throw it on the floor. And the runners would always be looking down, trying to see all the orders were different colors or different patterns on them, and the runners would look for their orders and bring it back. Mm-hmm. The amazing thing was, back when I started, you could smoke cigarettes in the pit. <laughs> and you know, you'd be trading and some guy have a cigarette, and he'd be, and, and, don't hit me in the eye, you know, and they would throw the butts on the floor and stamp them out. How there was never a fire amongst all that paper at the end of the day, and the pits were wooden pits. Yeah. The electrical for the phones went into the pits and then out and under. It would have been a disaster, <laughs> yeah, if those pits ever caught fire. But you and know you that said, changed.
1: And you've said multiple times, you know, pits. We had a, a pit, of yeah. a stage for doing corn, and yes. we had a stage for doing soybeans yes. and wheat, right? Yeah. And it several was, classes of wheat.
0: Yes. And the pit was, you know, two or three steps up, and then the pit would go down three or four steps. And depending on where you stood in the pit was the contract month you were trading. So most guys would trade the lead option because that was the busiest. And in the bean pit, it was kind of almost half of the the pit. And then in the back corner was the next month and then around with different months. And then when you get to the real back months, you know, six, seven months out, three or four contracts would be trading there. So you had to be very careful. We, which month we were trading. And there would be hand signals for the different months.
1: Okay. So again, as we kind of wrap up our discussion about, you know, when you got in the business, yes. um, if, if you had to describe the significance of the Chicago Board of Trade then, in yeah. the mid 70s and, you know, through the 80s, what was the significance of the Board of Trade at that point in its life?
0: You know, the entire existence, whether in that 20 year period or from the beginning, It was there to transfer risk. And if a farmer had grain, he wanted to hedge. If there was no Board of Trade, and we know farmers a lot of times hated the Board of Trade. Those bums in Chicago, they're always pushing prices down. Well, that's not really what happened out there. The traders actually loved the bull market. But the fact of the matter is, if you didn't have those, there were 1,402 full members. If you didn't have all those buyers, and it was just Cargill or ADM, bidding for that grain, what would those bids have been? Mm -hmm. Probably a lot cheaper, but when you get all that competition, it gave the farmer a fair market to trade their grain. And that is as true today as it was in 1863 when the exchange started. Yep, so that
1: was gonna be my next question. Is the Chicago Board of Trade still significant today? And if so, is it for the same reason?
0: It is, and you know, it's price discovery, and it's disseminating information, It's managing the risk, transferring the risk from hedgers to speculators. And that hasn't changed in 100 years, 150 years.
1: Mark, it's been so fun to sit down with you. Thank you for your time and sharing some of that knowledge, okay?
0: It's been a pleasure.
1: You bet. Thank you very much. Thank you. Again, that's Mark Gold. He's with Top Third Ag Marketing in Chicago. And again, thanks to Mark for joining us on this episode of Grain IQ. I'm Chad Moyer. Grain IQ is a production of the Nebraska Rural Radio Association with support from the Nebraska Soybean Board. It is brought to you in part by Nebraska soybean farmers and their checkoff. You can listen to Grain IQ on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or online at ruralradionetwork.com.